If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Hello and welcome to the Eurogamer Newscast. And this week we're talking about Unreal Engine, Metaverses, Procedural Generation, AI. It's all going on. Joining me this week to talk about all of that <laughs> and try and understand some of it. To listen it's... to Tom talk about all that. <laughs> the Eurogamer News team. We've got Ed Nightingale. Hello. Victoria Kennedy. Hello. And I'm Tom Phillips. And we are coming at you after the Unreal State of. It's not State of Play, that's PlayStation. State of Unreal. Uh, Epic Games' presentation last night timed uh, alongside the Game Developers Conference GDC. And they had lots of new cool stuff about Unreal Engine 5 to show off. Some new trailers for upcoming games that I think we're all pretty excited by. And a look ahead at what Fortnite has in future has to come in the future. And what that means for bizarre outlandish terms like the metaverse, which Epic boss Tim Sweeney likes to talk about every so often. But we'll break it down. Um, we'll, you know, start with like what I think is some very like straightforward, cool stuff that they were showing. New things coming to Unreal Engine 5.2. Unreal Engine obviously powers a lot of video games, seemingly more and more. And uh, some of the biggest ones on the horizon are going to be made in Unreal. And I've immediately forgotten all of the examples that I was going to give. The Witcher. Team Raider. Team Raider, yes. Team Raider. <laughs> uh, and many others. And... Uh, the toolkit that Unreal Engine now has is very, very impressive. They started off their demo last night showing off this leafy environment and uh, some of the cool stuff they're doing with procedural generation where you can sort of just drop in and drop out bits of um, like assets and test video game levels on the fly. Was that the, the driving demo? Yeah, they so they started off with driving demo. They showed off a new like couple of shaders and how cool they can make things look, like reflective properties of uh, textures and things like that. And then they kind of zoomed out a bit, and you you saw them moving things around live in the editor that they've got, and uh, you know like just pulling out bits of scenery, putting them in or rotating them, and then because of how smart Unreal Engine is, the level just sort of adapts itself around the bits of scenery that you put in. It was very, it's very, very cool. And then they zoomed out even further and they said like this tiny bit is the bit that we've actually constructed with human hands. And from that, the uh, engine can now extrapolate kind of this much. And I mean, that's a really useful tool if you're a game developer, right? That's amazing. Just watching the videos, my mind was just like, I cannot get over what can be done these days. It's an interesting, it's an interesting topic, um, procedural generation, but more specifically AI. um, I'm pretty sure that term was used to sort of uh, extrapolate on these things. 
And um, one of the other news stories to come out of this week, actually, from a GDC talk was the uh, program that Ubisoft are playing around with. It's called Ghostwriter, um, which sort of uses AI to modulate, suggest different dialogue lines for video games. Uh, and this caused quite a bit of a stir. I don't know if you saw any of this happening, but there are a lot of people who write video games who had opinions yes. on this. Um, and it, it seems like that's being used for sort of more incidental dialogue um, and, you know, not like the main story dialogue speeches. You know, it's it's more kind of smaller bits and pieces. But, you know, I also saw tweets from people saying, well, that could have been handed to a junior writer. That could have been given to someone who maybe needs to build up some experience. And I feel from what you were just saying about the procedural generation, I feel a little bit torn about it because I think when it comes to things like writing dialogue or AI art, um, things like that, I think that needs a human touch. Um, that That is the artistry of video games, literally, when it comes to art. Um, and I just don't think it's fair to have an AI replicate that. Mm. Um, when it comes to the level design stuff, I still feel like that's still someone's job to design levels. And admittedly it's not complete from scratch as you said it's from that small part that then gets sort of replicated i still feel like that's someone's job and i i would appreciate that being handcrafted but as a maybe as, as a baseline to sort of say well let's get started with that and then we can go back and tweak it later or just as a testing or something like that it's it's absolutely a very impressive uh tool um it is just a little bit worrying that we are getting to a point now where the computers are taking over and, <laughs> and they can, they can do a lot more than I think they should at this point. You think, you think they shouldn't be able to do as much as they can. You think Unreal Engine should stop at five, no 5.2, <laughs> no six. Tim Sweeney, calm down on your metaverse. This is the intervention. Stop it. Sweeney. You've had your time. Um, I, I think I think there's elements that are impressive. I think there's elements that are probably. I mean, look, I'm not a game designer. I'm sure there are game designers looking at this, thinking, "Wow, this is incredible! I can't wait to use it." Uh, and that's great. I just I just want to make sure that we're not losing the human touch on yeah. on game design. That's my concern, particularly more with the writing. I think for me, because as you know, and I've mentioned a few times on Newscast before, like I love narrative driven games. Like I play a game for a story more than I play it for like it's graphical etc etc um and for me <clears throat> when i was you know see the discussion that happened with this ai generated text i was a bit like well I, I it might seem like incidental dialogue but it is still world building and i love the fact that that does come from a personal place and um i was talking to a writer very recently and they told me that actually the overarching narrative of a story that's something that is kind of generally controlled a little bit more by the higher ups in a company you know they kind of know where they want their story to go and it's then the job they get told the plot and it's them to make the world and so for them they say they actually really enjoy the sort of more non sort of con not non-consequential but these little like side bits they can have a little bit more fun there and I think it'd be a shame to take that away from someone who has this creative talent like they're a writer or a narrative designer or whatever you know, this is obviously something that they're very passionate about and they love doing, otherwise they wouldn't be their job, in theory. Um, and, you know, you, you don't want to take away those those other little bits of work that actually could cause or give great pleasure to people. 
Hmm. It's the sort of thing you get in like logs. Um, yeah. You know, when you're, you know, I'm thinking of say Metroid Prime, where you're scanning the environment and getting logs of data, and it, that's world building. And yeah, I guess maybe that could be an AI, but also you want that little human touch of of having little nuggets of story, like uh, you know, sprinkled into that. And 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 like you said, it's right. I really like that that element of world building, and I mm-hmm. don't think that that's something that a computer can just generate generically i can't think of an example off the top of my head though um at the moment but i do remember reading somewhere about how there's some i really wish i could remember the game but i I was reading an interview with a writer and they said that a lot of the sort of npc general chatter was actually like in jokes from the studio which they've included as like little easter eggs for themselves and i think it'd be quite sad if we then just had an ai churning out stuff that doesn't have any feeling behind it it's just an ai generated so well Ghostwriter apparently comes recommended by Ubisoft scriptwriters, and there were lots of whoops and cheers in the audience last night as we saw the procedural generation um, in 5.2. Um, I, I mean, at, at this point, you know, AIs aren't building and publishing their own games. There is definitely a, a, a need for the human input, and Ghostwriter doesn't publish anything you know it merely suggests it and then writers mm. can go in and edit it but well this is after you. i was gonna say it's, <laughs> it's i think it's a matter of balance right because uh no one's looking at unreal engine and saying well this is a cheat you know i want the human crafted um engine experience from my own game i don't want you know an off-the-shelf computer language driven thing that's ubiquitous and that everyone uses you know we all game designers, writers, animators use sets of tools which simplify processes and systems. It's at what point does this become, oh, too much of an AI uh, help? You know? mm. uh, My concern where's that line? with the AI help, though, in, I think it was Alana Pierce that wrote this, and she mentioned about the fact that, I, I'm not saying this is a sort of blanket term for all writers by any means, but if I was writing something and then I had to go and fiddle with the AI tool to make it sound like surely it's kind of, it could potentially add more work because you have to go and fiddle and adjust with what the AI has written to make it sound more natural or whatever. And like, I don't know. I I don't know how these tech tools work, but it's just like another thing potentially to have to learn. Hmm. I think the procedural generation stuff is probably a similar process, but I guess that's probably a lot easier to go in and tweak something that's been done rather than building an entire level from scratch. So I can see more of the, the usefulness when it comes to procedural generation and that's also become a big selling point in certain games recently you know you something like no man's sky would not have been possible without procedural generation because you can't handcraft all those millions of planets or mm. something like you know i've been playing lots of dead cells recently that has procedure generated levels um returnal as well now i think a lot of the pieces are handcrafted and they're just randomly generated but i think a lot of games are building that as part of their gameplay especially roguelites um, or roguelikes or whatever other term you want to use um, so I can see for that style of game this kind of procedure generation could even be implemented as part of it which would be great and I can see that being really useful for indie developers who maybe don't have the manpower to to craft levels from scratch um, mm. you know maybe that could be really useful for them equally how accessible is unreal engine for independent developers i don't know i'm guessing it's incredibly expensive um so i don't know how useful that would be well we'll get on to that um sorry (laughs) jump in the gun 
<laughs> I, I think Unreal Engine, it sounds like Unreal Engine is, is, is pretty easy to get into and Epic does have grants. Like they want people using Unreal Engine very clearly. You know, they're trying to make it as easy as possible. The stuff we'll get onto is, you know, where that stuff gets published. But they also talked last night about all of their massive asset libraries, the fact that they own ArtStation and like megapixel scans of loads of textures, which are currently on a different place and Sketchfab. And they are like binding these all together. And actually, a really interesting thing that flicked up on screen for a second was that they're going to start selling these packs from third-party developers to allow indies to make their own games. You know, we've seen so many stories of people kind of just, you know, borrowing assets from other people and getting found out about it. Hmm. Well, one of the things that we saw in the presentation was a pack of assets from Supermassive Games with assets from their Dark Pictures anthology horror series, which, you know, you're going to be able to license and put in your own games if uh, if you want to acquire that on the Unreal Marketplace and then put it in your own game. And it made me think of how, you know, in, in, in the days of Napster, the easiest thing to do was just sort of like kitbash. Uh, well, it, then it was just like download songs. As soon as someone comes along with a more easy to use, straightforward solution, everyone was on Spotify instead. And it's a bit mm. like that with um, with this. I think like it's going to make game development so much easier for a lot of people to get into. That's see, that's great. But then I think the onus is then on game developers using those assets to make sure that they're doing it in an original way. Because what I wouldn't want is for this kind of tool to have you know texture packs available and suddenly everyone jumps on it and games yeah. will start looking the same. Like it's just I think, copy and paste and that's... Yeah, it's, you know, there's not... A sh it's great that it's accessible, but I wouldn't want that to be seen as a shortcut for them people to just be, oh, look, I'll just use this texture everywhere and then it's, you know, suddenly my game looks like Elden Ring and it shouldn't, or whatever. <laughs> um, you know, I think... What's wrong with Elden Ring? It, there's nothing wrong with Elden Ring, but, you know, not every game needs to look like it uh, or animate like it. Um, Speaking of Lords of the Fallen... <laughs> Well, there you go. There's a segue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we should talk about some of the games they showed. Brief clips of Lords of the Fallen. Was it Lord of the Fallen now? Lord, Lord of the, Lords of the Fallen. Okay, but there's no longer the. So it's not the Lords of the Fallen anymore. Yeah, it's um, Lords of the Fallen. Yeah. You mentioned earlier we were talking Ed, that uh, it looks a little like Elden Ring. I mean, it always did, um, or at least it, it's it's a Souls game uh, from another developer whose name I've totally forgotten. Um, so it's already been released, but it didn't do that well, um, I think, because it was a little bit generic. Um, and they're now remaking it, and they're obviously using the new Unreal Engine um, as a showcase. And there's there's the shallow part of me that's now interested in this game, because I want to know how good it looks. <laughs> but I think that's a good tactic from them, because so they're remaking it. I'm sure yeah. gameplay is probably pretty similar. The story will be the same. It's just... What are they improving? Well, we're improving the visuals, so let's use the best engine possible and get some attention on it. Um, it does look really good, though. Um, you see the lighting engine moving. Um, it looks like there's sort of two parallel worlds that they can place on top of each other, uh, which is really cool. And it, to me, it looked like, okay, it's a fairly typical dark fantasy kind of world, but that's what I think people wanted Elden Ring to look like, and it didn't, because Elden Ring is not technically the best looking game in the world um it's got ray tracing now 
it does have ray tracing now, which I'm sure Maybe. will tank the frame rate, but I'm going to give that a go and see what it looks like. Um, so I looked at this and thought, actually, Lords of the Fallen, I'm much more interested in this now. Um, I'm interested to see how it compares with the Demon Souls remake on PS5, because that, even though it was a launch game, is still probably the best looking Souls game. Mm. Um, and it's still a really impressive looking game now. So I'm interested to see how this is going to compare to that. Um, but yeah, I'm suddenly a lot more interested in that in a very shallow way. We also saw a bit of Hellblade and the really cool tech behind that. The reason that they were showing it was that um, you can now, or you will be able to now, um, record performance capture on something as simple as an iPhone and Unreal Engine will just extrapolate it out, apply it to one of their metahuman people models and it looks really good and it's it seemingly so really good. easy to do. That, that clip... I saw that uh, last night and again this morning. I couldn't take my eyes off it. It was so good. With Melina Jurgens. It's just, yeah. oh, the expressions and everything. Like, well, that's was... the thing, it's captured like, oh. know, like for like. So yeah. it, that's going to really improve lip syncing uh, and, and animation for. And also, would be great for actors to sort of, you know, it's not just you're providing the voice to a model. It's like, well, you can, you are the character. And I know. Obviously, we have that already, but to a, to a much greater extent, um, mm. I think that would be great. And does that mean that this is speeding up development of that game and we can get it soon? This is what we want to know. <laughs> These are the important yeah. questions. When can I play it? <laughs> that game has been in the oven for a while. Okay, well, I'm going to play devil's advocate, right? We were talking earlier about how procedural generation, AI, script writing, you know, th this these are people's jobs, right? Is what we've seen last night someone's job, an animator's job, uh, that is just being replicated in seconds by an AI using the new metahuman animator? Was that someone's job that's just gone out the window because they can just turn performance capture from an iPhone in a couple of seconds to a pretty polished scene? I, mean, I think it depends on the game. I think if it's aiming for that photorealistic vibe um then it makes sense to have the most realistic animations and then if that is literally humans and you're recording it and replicating it then that would make sense if it's you know you're not going to use that for i don't know like a pixel art game because then that's you know someone's job to have different types of animations or maybe you want something more cartoonish or or something else so i think it will depend on 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 the game as to whether that kind of realistic animation is suitable. Mm. Okay. So you're not which out of a job. Which is me fence sitting. <laughs> you're not out of your job. You just need a different job. Yeah. Okay. Go, go work at a different CDA. <laughs> See, this no, is me. Like, I, I realized that I was very, like, snarky about the uh, the procedural, the procedure, the, the writing AI. But then I don't know if that's me coming from someone who loves the written word. Whereas I don't have as much understanding about how animation, et cetera, works. So maybe that's that's on me, maybe. And I was more excited about the animation potential than I was about the writing potential from everything that's come out over the last few days. Uh, but maybe that is my ignorance of animation as a whole. Um, but I, I still can't go over that video of um, Hellblade. Like, it was just phenomenal. But as Ed said, you know, that sort of tech is not going to work for every game because you can't imagine having that on 
you know, like you said, a little sort of side scroller pixel game that just is not something that you need for that. So, yeah, I'm on the fence as well. In short, I echo what Ed said. <laughs> I'm sort of on the fence with all of it because I think that there's always an implementation for this kind of stuff that could be useful if used in the right way. Um, but there's also the possibility of developers, I guess, abusing this kind of system to make an entirely, you know, AI created game. Well, not entirely, maybe, but, you know, just too much AI that then it doesn't seem personal. It doesn't have the human touch. But mm -hmm. I would like to think that when playing that game, people would see that and players would pick up on that and, and notice this feels bland or, you know, this 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 lacks a bit of humanity to it. Mm. Oh, yeah, I'm definitely all for tools that make someone's job easier. Um, like even things like, you, you know, with like our formatting of articles, like we've always suggested ways like, oh, maybe we could have, you know, this implemented into it just to make it more streamlined. That sort of thing I'm not against at all. It's when the... the AI, etc., starts replacing jobs I'm not happy with. So I'm anything to make life easier and to make a job more effective, but not completely override the job as a whole. Yes. AI in journalism is, is a topic that we do not have time to get into today, <laughs> but it's certainly a discussion. Um, we mentioned earlier that there's been, uh, there was stuff in the showcase last night about the publishing of these things. And a big part of Epic Games' plans is Fortnite because Epic Games owns, develops Fortnite. And Fortnite is played by millions and millions of people. And if you wanted, I guess, a, not a storefront, because a lot of these things are just going to be available in Fortnite to play, uh, but a, a way to access all of this stuff that people are building. Um, Fortnite is going to be uh, an ecosystem, that's how they referred to it last night, where you can play this stuff. And they showed off some brief clips of experiences which look very un-Fortnite-y, but you could now play in Fortnite. And through the power of Unreal Editor, which basically layers in all of those Unreal Engine features um, into a PC editor, you can publish experiences directly into Fortnite. As of now, I was playing a few of these last night there was uh, a sort of brief cave exploration thing that Epic Games had done, a puzzly thing in a sci-fi environment, and then something that was quite clearly a ripoff of Call of Duty Modern Warfare. Um, <laughs> they were okay. There were, there were like three experiences that people who've had early access to Unreal Engine, uh, sorry, UEFN is the shorthand name, um, Unreal Editor for Fortnite. And one of them was a uh, Sea of Thieves attempt, which right now is extremely basic, but it's kind of fun to see. And you can just see where this stuff is going. It's, it's, I genuinely think it's a bit of a revelation and a bit of a revolution, really. It's another adaption for Fortnite, which started off as a PvE game, then a Battle Royale, then it added a creative mode, and now it's adding kind of... a creative mode 2.0 powered by all of this stuff in unreal engine 5 and you can if you know unreal engine 5 build this stuff and just slot it in there and be compensated another big thing they announced was their uh, new monetization strategy creator economy 2.0 where people who create this stuff are reimbursed well they are paid a share of some of the money that fortnite makes which is a lot 
based on various engagement metrics. So, you know, how often people play your game, when they come back to it, how long they spend in there. So for someone who does not really play Fortnite at all, I, I obviously know what it is. Are these um, creations, are they something that you would have to, like in Roblox, is there like a hub world where you then can select a game that you then enter into? Or so, is it something that's just there on the map? Yeah, so Fortnite has a main menu and it almost looks like Netflix. You know, it's just like lots and lots of little squares. And at the top are the un, are the Epic Games made uh, games like Battle Royale. And Save the World is still there too, the original PvE one and various other modes that they have usually with the same Battle Royale map. And uh, then underneath that, you know, with basically equal billing are all of these things that the community has made. And the game has shifted over time to really give equal billing to stuff, you know, like the Battle Royale mode that we all know Fortnite has really. And all of this other stuff that gets made as well. And they said last night that 40% of people's time is now spent not in Battle Royale, but in these other experiences too. It's very like Roblox. That's a really good analogy because Roblox has... You know, it's, it's built on all of these other experiences that people build. Fortnite has, you know, like the hook, I guess, of the Battle Royale and the seasonal model there. It changes all the time. There's always cool stuff that they're adding. So you might, you know, initially load up Fortnite to go do this week's Battle Pass challenge. But while you're there, you see, oh, you know, this looks fun. It's like a cool fishing mini game. I'll give that a try. Um. Which leads me very nicely onto Everywhere, which is another <laughs> game which is trying to do exactly this. And uh, to keep it very brief, uh, you can read about Everywhere on Eurogamer right now, once this is published. And it's a, an attempt by some very smart people, some of whom used to work on Grand Theft Auto at Rockstar. And they are building a platform like Roblox and Fortnite where you can create and publish your own experiences. They have a hub world. It reminded me a little bit of PlayStation Home, where you can um, access all of this stuff in a 3D virtual space, a big 3D virtual space. And um, they haven't discussed their revenue model yet, but I wouldn't be surprised if it's similar, where creators are sort of encouraged to create in everywhere and their hook rather than Fortnite having a battle royale is that they're going to be doing these triple a really big budget experiences the first of which is called well it's called mind's eye and the first episode of which is a single player um action adventure game with like sci-fi elements so that's the hook for them you know you come in you play the latest episode of this thing that we're making by some of the people who used to make gta and while you're there you probably check out some of this uh, creative content and it's fascinating to see lots of games heading this way and Tim Sweeney wrapping up last night sort of talked about the open metaverse which is not you know you sat in a pod with a uh, VR headset accessing everything through uh, um, one singular thing but it's all of these experiences now starting to be quite similar like everywhere is made in unreal engine and its creative tools are powered by unreal engine and yet it's a completely different closed garden metaverse thing to fortnite so it's going to be really interesting to see 
I have no idea if everywhere is going to be everywhere in the future. Um, <laughs> it, but it's a huge, huge gamble from them. And I can't wait to see how it plays out. I mean, it's amazing to see like how far user-generated content has come because I remember playing Little Big Planet and people oh. creating, you know, 2D side-scrolling levels. And that was quite... Well, I never had the patience to build a level, but that seemed relatively simple to sort of place things together. And mm. and and that was kind of UGC was this big new thing. And now it's, you know, becoming not just, oh, you create a level, but you can create a whole game within a game yeah. um, with, with tools that, I mean, I don't know how accessible these Unreal tools will be in Fortnite, um, but presumably it's, you know, not too difficult to make something uh, and, and make something really impressive. Uh, so it's it's wild to see how far things have come in the last. Actually, I'm not going to say that because I bet Little Big Planet came out ages ago, and it feels like two years ago. But it's a PlayStation know. Three game, Ed, which, exactly. as we've recently <laughs> been discussing, is now retro. <laughs> oh, I just saw Ed age yeah. <laughs> in a moment. I remember playing Mario Maker. That was my my attempt at making something for the the community. <laughs> wasn't very good. Nintendo God, like yeah. behind, of course. But, yeah, Mario Maker. I remember doing that. It was really interesting to hear Tim Sweeney talk about how, I guess, yeah, user-generated stuff um, is becoming, you know, it's the next big thing in the industry. And it makes sense if you're a business because, you know, you, you basically hand over some control, but uh, you are allowing millions of people to do development work for you and at the same time keep people engaged in your own little corner of this open metaverse as he called it but it was very similar to what leslie benz is the gta former producer who's now um building this everywhere game or platform or whatever you want to call it was saying that you know they've seen similar and something he said is we don't want to be a studio where we just do sequels you know so you yeah this single player thing they're making is mind's eye and uh and, and actually in future it won't be single player they'll add in multiplayer bits but they don't want to just be like mind's eye 2 mind's eye 3 which i thought was an interesting way of saying it because his former employer rockstar i mean that's what they do they do gta 3 and 4 and 5 and san Andreas and 6 and you know eventually um <laughs> but gta themselves is having huge success with gta online and um yeah, if you can if you can get a service which is sticky and keeps people in it, um, that's sort of it, really. I think it's great that they're also sharing money, so people can you know potentially, I guess, make money out of their creations in in a positive way. Um, mm. And I can see a lot of people using this as a way to get into game design. A lot of young people saying, "Oh, I've made this level and it's really successful," and you know maybe that's where careers start. And I can I can see that being a really positive step. Um, I guess the flip side of all that is that I then look at something like Roblox, which has a lot of problems with moderation and well, yeah, exploitation that's... and things like that. And and I think that Fortnite is already massive. This could make it even bigger, but they're going to have... I, I really hope they've got good moderation tools in there to make sure that people are protected and you know the right sort of content is being made. That would definitely be my concern, especially you know as a parent. I... I don't let my kids near Roblox. I know what it is because of my job, but I don't let my kids near Roblox for the exact reasons you said. There's too much from too many people and I don't feel it's 
moderated enough. Um, and that would be a very real concern for me for anything that has this, you know, potentially not snowballing because that makes it sound negative. But if it does get too big, who's controlling all that? Keeping an eye on it. I also feel I understand better now what the potential of a metaverse could be. Because I think metaverse just has a bit of a dirty word. It is considered a bit of a dirty word. And yeah. it's, you know, it's kind of Mark Zuckerberg with a headset on and a dodgy avatar. And it's like, why would I want to live in that world? Um, but when you look at something now that like Epic are doing with Fortnite and it's sort of all these experiences under one umbrella and there's so much potential to that and the connections that can be made there and the connections with their own tools... I can see how that is actually really impressive um, and how that can grow to be incredible. And, and I guess is, as you said, with everywhere coming as well, that is really the next, the next big thing in gaming, really. I just keep picturing ready player one, that film. So. <laughs> yeah. Maybe not in 10 years, but uh, it's you certainly seeing some similarities starting to appear. Um, whether it needs VR or not, well, that's a whole other discussion. Um, right. Well, that is what Epic Games had to show last night, and it's safe to say that it impressed a lot of people and sparked a lot of conversations. And uh, yeah, thank you very for joining good. us. Before oh, we go, Victoria. can I ask you? Sorry, cause just because you are a Fortnite player, how, where do you feel? Like, where do you sit? Because I saw quite a lot of debate about this is not the Fortnite I love on Twitter, etc. Last night, where do you stand on what mm. they're doing? Interesting. I think that um, the game has already had creative stuff in it for a while, and that's where the the needle has been turned, sort of been moving towards in terms of their focus. It's at least equally focused now towards Fortnite being a platform where creative stuff is as important as their battle royale but they will always need a hook for people to come back to Fortnite, and battle royale is the perfect hook for that it's constantly changing i i would it's going to be a long time i think before they um stop development on that and that's what i think as a Fortnite player you know that would be my worry but actually seeing how they want Fortnite to be this place where all this stuff is included, it, it just encourages me that um, to keep the importance of that game as their shop front, you know, their window front for what you can do in Unreal Engine, not only for players, but also for developers. Um, and as journalists, you know, like I can see us covering, you know, like we, we covered stuff that people are making dreams, all these weird and wonderful experiences. And for Epic Games, you know, they've got the storefront, they've got the creation tools, they've got the game, they've got it all wrapped up and it's it's perfect for them. You know, this is basically people that you've handed over control of your engine and all the stuff that you can build in it to this, uh, you know, audience of developers with a relatively easy to use uh, toolkit, but also to a, an audience of millions. And that's the best way of getting this stuff surfaced in Fortnite. So uh but you've got to keep that fortnite experience relevant and that's what battle royale does and that's why uh, if you look at what everywhere is doing that's why there is that single not single player because it will be multiplayer later. it's just single player in the first chapter but the um that's why they've got this triple a experience that they've built themselves built in it's exactly the same it, that is their fortnite battle royale whether it can be as attractive to get people into everywhere or not remains to be seen but 
I think you need something to sort of draw people in and then once they're there they can experience all this other stuff so yeah I'm sure that the adventures of Fishstick and Peely the banana will continue for a while yeah <laughs> can't wait for that <laughs> and also because like what names <laughs> um last season was medieval this season is sort of neo tokyo cyberpunk and all of these assets that they create um after they've been in the game they rotate into the creative portions of the game so you know just as there's this library of stuff that people are going to be able to pull from to make their own experiences from third-party people you know, this this is all every season of fortnite is basically just introducing assets but also gameplay mechanics and new items and weapons for people to play around with and make their own experiences another great reason why fortnite will continue is because you know it's it's epic just continually adding to the the pool of resources available to people in in the creative mode so yeah, another good reason why it would be around for a while. right i could talk about this all day but uh <laughs> no one wants to hear that so uh thank you ed and victoria for joining us ever where can people find you on twitter ed uh you can find me at ed underscore knights victoria i am little chop shop gal and i'm at tom phillips eg uh thanks for joining everyone <laughs> we'll see you next time bye bye see you then bye